Chapter Fourteen of Herndon's Lincoln. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Mary Schneider. Herndon's Lincoln by William H. Herndon and Jesse William Week. Section Twenty Five. Before Mr. Lincoln surrenders himself completely to the public for it is apparent that he is fast approaching the great crisis of his career it may not be entirely inappropriate to take a nearer and more personal view of him a knowledge of his personal views and actions a glimpse through the doorway of his home and a more thorough acquaintance with his marked and strong points as they developed will aid us greatly in forming our general estimate of the man when mr lincoln entered the domain of investigation he was a severe and persistent thinker and he had wonderful endurance hence he was abstracted and for that reason at times was somewhat unsocial reticent and uncommunicative after his marriage it cannot be said that he liked the society of ladies in fact it was just what he did not like though one of his biographers says otherwise lincoln had none of the tender ways that please a woman and he could not it seemed by any positive act of his own make her happy if his wife was happy she was naturally happy or made herself so in spite of countless drawbacks he was however a good husband in his own peculiar way and in his own way only if exhausted from severe and long-continued thought he had to touch the earth again to renew his strength when this weariness set in he would stop thought and get down and play with a little dog or kitten to recover and when the recovery came he would push it aside to play with its own tail he treated men and women in much the same way for fashionable society he had a marked dislike although he appreciated its value in promoting the welfare of a man ambitious to succeed in politics if he was invited out to dine or to mingle in some social gathering and came in contact with the ladies he treated them with becoming politeness but the consciousness of his shortcomings as a society man rendered him unusually diffident and at the very first opportunity he would have the men separated from their ladies and crowded close around him in one corner of the parlor listening to one of his characteristic stories that a lady as proud and ambitious to exercise the rights of supremacy in society as mary todd should repent of her marriage to the man i have just described surely need occasion no surprise in the mind of any one both she and the man whose hand she accepted acted along the lines of human conduct and both reaped the bitter harvest of conjugal infelicity in dealing with mr lincoln's home life perhaps i am revealing an element of his character that has heretofore been kept from the world but in doing so i feel sure i am treading on no one's toes for all the actors in this domestic drama are dead and the world seems ready to hear the facts as his married life in the opinion of all his friends exerted a peculiar influence over mr lincoln's political career there can be no impropriety i apprehend in throwing the light on it now mrs lincoln's disposition and nature have been dealt with in another chapter 
and enough has been told to show that one of her greatest misfortunes was her inability to control her temper admit that and everything can be explained however cold and abstracted her husband may have appeared to others however impressive when aroused may have seemed his indignation in public he never gave vent to his feelings at home he always meekly accepted as final the authority of his wife in all matters of domestic concern this may explain somewhat the statement of judge davis that quote, as a general rule when all the lawyers of a saturday evening would go home and see their families and friends lincoln would find some excuse and refuse to go he said nothing but it seemed to us all he was not domestically happy End quote. he exercised no government of any kind over his household his children did much as they pleased many of their antics he approved and he restrained them in nothing he never reproved them or gave them a fatherly frown he was the most indulgent parent i have ever known he was in the habit when at home on sunday of bringing his two boys willie and thomas or tad down to the office to remain while his wife attended church he seldom accompanied her there the boys were absolutely unrestrained in their amusement if they pulled all the books from the shelves bent the points of all the pens overturned inkstands scattered law papers over the floor or threw the pencils into the spittoon it never disturbed the serenity of their father's good nature frequently absorbed in thought he never observed their mischievous but destructive pranks as his unfortunate partner did who thought much but said nothing and even if brought to his attention he virtually encouraged their repetition by declining to show any substantial evidence of parental disapproval after church was over the boys and their father climbing down the office stairs ruefully turned their steps homeward they mingled with the throngs of well-dressed people returning from church the majority of whom might well have wondered if the trio they passed were going to a fireside where love and white-winged peace reigned supreme a near relative of mrs lincoln in explanation of the unhappy condition of things in that lady's household offered this suggestion quote, mrs lincoln came of the best stock and was raised like a lady her husband was her opposite in origin in education in breeding in everything and it is therefore quite natural that she should complain if he answered the doorbell himself instead of sending the servant to do so neither is she to be condemned if as you say she raised mary war because he persisted in using his own knife and the butter instead of the silver-handled one intended for that purpose such want of social polish on the part of her husband of course gave mrs lincoln great offence and therefore on commenting on it she cared neither for time nor place her frequent outbursts of temper precipitated many an embarrassment from which lincoln with great difficulty extricated himself mrs lincoln on account of her peculiar nature could not long retain a servant in her employ the sea was never so placid but that a breeze would ruffle its waters she loved show and attention and if when she glorified her family descent or indulged in one of her strange outbreaks the servant could simulate absolute obsequiousness 
or had tact enough to encourage her social pretensions mrs lincoln was for the time her firmest friend one servant who adjusted herself to suit the lady's capricious ways lived with the family for several years she told me that at the time of the debate between douglas and lincoln she often heard the latter's wife boast that she would yet be mistress of the white house the secret of her ability to endure the eccentricities of her mistress came out in the admission that mr lincoln gave her an extra dollar every week on condition that she would brave whatever storms might arise and suffer whatever might befall her without complaint it was a rather severe condition but she lived rigidly up to her part of the contract the money was paid secretly and without the knowledge of mrs lincoln frequently after tempestuous scenes between the mistress and her servant lincoln at the first opportunity would place his hand encouragingly on the latter's shoulder with the admonition mary keep up your courage it may not be without interest to add that the servant afterwards married a man who enlisted in the army in the spring of eighteen sixty five his wife managed to reach washington to secure her husband's release from the service after some effort she succeeded in obtaining an interview with the president he was glad to see her gave her a basket of fruit and directed her to call the next day and obtain a pass through the lines and money to buy clothes for herself and children that night he was assassinated the following letter to the editor of a newspaper in springfield will serve as a specimen of the perplexities which frequently beset mr lincoln when his wife came in contact with others what in this instance she said to the paper carrier we do not know we can only intelligently infer i have no personal recollection of the incident although i knew the man to whom it was addressed quite well the letter only recently came to light i insert it without further comment springfield illinois february twentieth eighteen fifty seven john e rosette esq dear sir your note about the little paragraph in the republican was received yesterday since which time i have been too unwell to notice it i had not supposed you wrote or approved it the whole originated in mistake you know by the conversation with me that i thought the establishment of the paper unfortunate but i always expected to throw no obstacle in its way and to patronize it to the extent of taking and paying for one copy when the paper was brought to my house my wife said to me now are you going to take another worthless little paper i said to her evasively i have not directed the paper to be left from this in my absence she sent the message to the carrier this is the whole story yours truly a lincoln a man once called at the house to learn why mrs lincoln had so unceremoniously discharged his niece from her employ mrs lincoln met him at the door and being somewhat wrought up gave vent to her feelings resorting to such violent gestures and emphatic language that the man was glad to beat a hasty retreat he at once started out to find lincoln determined to exact from him proper satisfaction for his wife's action lincoln was entertaining a crowd in a store at the time the man still laboring under some agitation called him to the door and made the demand lincoln listened for a moment to his story my friend 
he interrupted i regret to hear this but let me ask you in all candor can't you endure for a few moments what i have had as my daily portion for the last fifteen years those words were spoken so mournfully and with such a look of distress that the man was completely disarmed it was a case that appealed to his feelings grasping the unfortunate husband's hand he expressed in no uncertain terms his sympathy and even apologized for having approached him he said no more about the infuriated wife and lincoln afterward had no better friend in springfield Mr. Lincoln never had a confidant, and therefore never unbosomed himself to others. He never spoke of his trials to me, or so far as I know, to any of his friends. It was a great burden to carry, but he bore it sadly enough and without a murmur. I could always realize when he was in distress without being told. He was not exactly an early riser, that is, he never usually appeared at the office till about nine o'clock in the morning i usually preceded him an hour sometimes however he would come down as early as seven o'clock in fact on one occasion i remember he came down before daylight if on arriving at the office i found him in i knew instantly that a breeze had sprung up over the domestic sea and that the waters were troubled he would either be lying on the lounge looking skyward or doubled up in a chair with his feet resting on the sill of a back window he would not look up on my entering, and only answered my good morning with a grunt. I at once busied myself with pen and paper, or ran through the leaves of some book. But the evidence of his melancholy and distress was so plain, and his silence so significant, that I would grow restless myself, and finding some excuse to go to the courthouse or elsewhere, would leave the room. The door of the office, opening into a narrow hallway, was half glass with a curtain on it working on brass rings strung on wire as i passed out on those occasions i would draw the curtain across the glass and before i reached the bottom of the stairs i could hear the key turn in the lock and lincoln was alone in his gloom an hour in the clerk's office at the courthouse an hour longer in a neighboring store having passed i would return by that time either a client had dropped in and lincoln was propounding the law or else the cloud of despondency had passed away and he was busy in the recital of an indiana story to whistle off the recollections of the morning's gloom noon having arrived i would depart homeward for my dinner returning within an hour i would find him still in the office although his house stood but a few squares away lunching on a slice of cheese and a handful of crackers which in my absence he had brought up from the store below separating for the day at five or six o'clock in the evening i would still leave him behind either sitting on a box at the foot of the stairway entertaining a few loungers or killing time in the same way on the courthouse steps a light in the office after dark attested his presence there till late along in the night when after all the world had gone to sleep the tall form of the man destined to be the nation's president could have been seen strolling along in the shadows of trees and buildings and quietly slipping in through the door of a modest frame house which it pleased the world in a conventional way to call his home some persons may insist that this picture is too highly colored 
if so i can only answer they do not know the facts the majority of those who have a personal knowledge of them are persistent in their silence if their lips could be opened and all could be known my conclusion and statements to say the least of them would be found to be fair reasonable and true a few words more as to lincoln's domestic history and i pass to a different phase of his life one of his warmest and closest friends who still survives maintains the theory that after all lincoln's political ascendancy and final elevation to the presidency were due more to the influence of his wife than to any other person or cause the fact insists this friend that mary todd by her turbulent nature and unfortunate manner prevented her husband from becoming a domestic man operated largely in his favor for he was thereby kept out in the world of business and politics instead of spending his evenings at home reading the papers and warming his toes at his own fireside he was constantly out with the common people was mingling with the politicians discussing public questions with the farmers who thronged the offices in the courthouse and state house and exchanging views with the loungers who surrounded the stove of winter evenings in the village store the result of his continuous contact with the world was that he was more thoroughly known than any other man in his community his wife therefore was one of the unintentional means of his promotion if on the other hand he had married some less ambitious but more domestic woman some honest farmer's quiet daughter one who would have looked up to and worshipped him because he uplifted her the result might have been different for although it doubtless would have been her pride to see that he had clean clothes whenever he needed them that his slippers were always in their place that he was warmly clad and had plenty to eat and although the privilege of ministering to his every wish and whim might have been to her a pleasure rather than a duty yet i fear he would have been buried in the pleasures of a loving home and the country would never have had abraham lincoln for its president in her domestic troubles i have always sympathized with mrs lincoln the world does not know what she bore or how ill-adapted she was to bear it her fearless witty and austere nature shrank instinctively from association with the calm imperturbable and simple ways of her thoughtful and absent-minded husband besides who knows but she may have acted out in her conduct toward her husband the laws of human revenge the picture of that eventful evening in eighteen forty one when she stood at the edwards mansion clad in her bridal robes the feast prepared and the guests gathered and when the bridegroom came not may have been constantly before her and prompted her to a course of action which kept in the background the better elements of her nature in marrying lincoln she did not look so far into the future as mary owens who declined his proposal because quote, he was deficient in those little links which make up the chain of woman's happiness unquote. by reason of his practical turn of mind mr lincoln never speculated any more in the scientific and philosophical than he did in the financial world he never undertook to fathom the intricacies of psychology and metaphysics investigation into first causes abstruse mental phenomena the science of being he brushed aside as trash mere scientific absurdities 
he discovered through experience that his mind like the minds of other men had its limitations and hence he economized his forces in his time by applying his powers in the field of the practical scientifically regarded he was a realist as opposed to an idealist a sensationist as opposed to an intuitionist a materialist as opposed to a spiritualist there was more or less superstition in his nature and although he may not have believed implicitly in the signs of the many dreams he was constantly endeavouring to unravel them his mind was readily impressed with some of the most absurd superstitions his visit to the voodoo fortune-teller in new orleans in eighteen thirty one his faith in the virtues of the mad stone when he took his son robert to terre haute indiana to be cured of the bite of a rabid dog and the strange double image of himself which he told his secretary john hay he saw reflected in a mirror just after his election in eighteen sixty strongly attest his inclination to superstition he held most firmly to the doctrine of fatalism all his life his wife after his death told me what i already knew that quote, his only philosophy was what is to be will be and no prayers of ours can reverse the decree End quote. he always contended that he was doomed to a sad fate and he repeatedly said to me when we were alone in our office i am sure i shall meet with some terrible end in proof of his strong leaning towards fatalism he once quoted the case of brutus and caesar arguing that the former was forced by laws and conditions over which he had no control to kill the latter and vice versa that the latter was specially created to be disposed of by the former the superstitious view of life ran through his being like the thin blue vein through the whitest marble giving the eye rest from the weariness of continued unvarying color for many years i subscribed for and kept on our office table the westminster and edinburgh review and a number of other english periodicals besides them i purchased the works of spencer darwin and the utterances of other english scientists all of which i devoured with great relish i endeavoured but had little success in inducing lincoln to read them occasionally he would snatch one up and peruse it for a little while but he soon threw it down with his suggestion that it was entirely too heavy for an ordinary mind to digest a gentleman in springfield gave him a book called i believe vestiges of creation which interested him so much that he read it through the volume was published in edinburgh and undertook to demonstrate the doctrine of development or evolution the treatise interested him greatly and he was deeply impressed with the notion of the so-called universal law evolution he did not extend greatly his researches but by continued thinking in a single channel seemed to grow into a warm advocate of the new doctrine beyond that i have stated he made no further investigation into the realm of philosophy there are no accidents he said one day in my philosophy every effect must have its cause the past is the cause of the present and the present will be the cause of the future all these are links in the endless chain stretching from the finite to the infinite 
from what has been said it would follow logically that he did not believe except in a very restricted sense in the freedom of the will he often argued the question i taking the opposite view he changed the expression calling it the freedom of the mind and insisted that man always acted from a motive i once contended that a man was free and could act without a motive he smiled at my philosophy and answered that it was impossible because the motive was born before the man the foregoing thoughts are prefatory to the much mooted question of mr lincoln's religious belief for what i have heretofore said on this subject both in public lectures and in letters which have frequently found their way into the newspapers i have been freely and sometimes bitterly assailed but i do not intend now to reopen the discussion or to answer the many persons who have risen up and asked to measure swords with me i merely purpose to state the bare facts expressing no opinion of my own and allowing each and every one to put his or her construction on them inasmuch as he was so often a candidate for public office mr lincoln said as little about his religious opinions as possible especially if he failed to coincide with the orthodox world in illustration of his religious code i once heard him say that it was like that of an old man named glenn in indiana whom he heard speak at a church meeting and who said quote, when i do good i feel good when i do bad i feel bad and that's my religion End quote. In 1834, while still living in New Salem, and before he became a lawyer, he was surrounded by a class of people exceedingly liberal in matters of religion. Volney's Ruins and Paine's Age of Reason passed from hand to hand and furnished food for the evening's discussion in the tavern and the village store. Lincoln read both these books and thus assimilated them into his own being he prepared an extended essay called by many a book in which he made an argument against christianity striving to prove that the bible was not inspired and therefore not god's revelation and that jesus christ was not the son of god the manuscript containing these audacious and comprehensive propositions he intended to have published or given a wide circulation in some other way he carried it to the store where it was read and freely discussed his friend and employer, Samuel Hill, was among the listeners, and seriously questioning the propriety of a promising young man like Lincoln, bothering such unpopular notions, he snatched the manuscript from his hands and thrust it into the stove. The book went up in flames, and Lincoln's political future was secure. But his infidelity and his skeptical views were not diminished. He soon removed to Springfield, where he attracted considerable notice by his rank doctrine. Much of what he then said may properly be credited to the impetuosity and exuberance of youth. One of his closest friends, whose name is withheld, narrating scenes and reviewing discussions that in 1838 took place in the office of the county clerk, says, quote, Sometimes Lincoln bordered on atheism. He went far that way and shocked me. I was then a young man and believed what my good mother told me. He would come into the clerk's office where I and some young men were writing and staying 
and would bring the bible with him would read a chapter and argue against it lincoln was enthusiastic in his infidelity as he grew older he grew more discreet didn't talk much before strangers about his religion but to friends close and bosom ones he was always open and avowed fair and honest to strangers he held them off from policy john t stewart who was lincoln's first partner substantially endorses the above Quote, he was an avowed and open infidel declares stewart and sometimes bordered on atheism went further against christian beliefs and doctrines and principles than any man i ever heard he shocked me i don't remember the exact line of his argument suppose it was against the inherent defects so-called of the bible and on the grounds of reason lincoln always denied that jesus was the christ of god denied that jesus was the son of god as understood and maintained by the christian church End quote. david davis tells us this quote, the idea that lincoln talked to a stranger about his religion or religious views or made such speeches and remarks about it as are published is to me absurd i knew the man so well he was the most reticent secretive man i ever saw or expect to see he had no faith in the christian sense of the term had faith in laws principles causes and effects another man testifies as follows quote, mr lincoln told me that he was a kind of immoralist that he never could bring himself to believe in eternal punishment that man lived but a little while here and that if eternal punishment were man's doom he should spend that little life in vigilant and ceaseless preparation by never-ending prayer another intimate friend furnishes this quote, in my intercourse with mr lincoln i learned that he believed in a creator of all things who had neither beginning nor end possessing all power and wisdom established a principle in obedience to which worlds move and are upheld and animal and vegetable life come into existence a reason he gave for his belief was that in view of the order and harmony of all nature which we behold it would have been more miraculous to have come about by chance than to have been created and arranged by some great thinking power as to the christian theory that christ is god or equal to the creator he said that it had better be taken for granted for by the test of reason we might become infidels on that subject for evidence of christ's divinity came to us in a somewhat doubtful shape but that the system of christianity was an ingenious one at least and perhaps was calculated to do good jesse w fell to whom lincoln first confided the details of his biography furnishes a more elaborate account of the latter's religious views than any one else in a statement made september twenty second eighteen seventy fell says quote, if there were any traits of character that stood out in bold relief in the person of mr lincoln they were those of truth and candor he was utterly incapable of insincerity or professing views on this or any other subject he did not entertain knowing such to be his true character that insincerity much more duplicity were traits wholly foreign to his nature 
many of his old friends were not a little surprised at finding in some of the biographies of this great man statements concerning his religious opinions so utterly at variance with his known sentiments true he may have changed or modified these sentiments after his removal from among us though this is hardly reconcilable with the history of the man and his entire devotion to public matters during his four years residence at the national capital it is possible however that this may be the proper solution of this conflict of opinions or it may be that while no intention on the part of any one to mislead the public mind those who have represented him as believing in the popular theological views of the times may have misapprehended him as experience shows to be quite common where no special effort has been made to attain critical accuracy on a subject of this nature this is the most probable from the well-known fact that mr lincoln seldom communicated to any one his views on this subject but be this as it may i have no hesitation whatever in saying that whilst he held many opinions in common with the great mass of christian believers he did not believe in what are regarded as the orthodox or evangelical views of christianity on the innate depravity of man the character and office of the great head of the church the atonement the infallibility of the written revelation the performance of miracles the nature and design of present and future rewards and punishments as they are popularly called and many other subjects he held opinions utterly at variance with what are usually taught in the church i shall say that his expressed views on these and kindred topics were such as in the estimation of most believers would place him outside the christian pale yet to my mind such was not the true position since his principles and practices and the spirit of his whole life were of the very kind we universally agree to call christian and i think this conclusion is in no wise affected by the circumstance that he never attached himself to any religious society whatever his religious views were eminently practical and are summed up as i think in these two propositions the fatherhood of god and the brotherhood of man he fully believed in a superintending and overruling providence that guides and controls the operations of the world but maintained that law and order and not their violation or suspension are the appointed means by which this providence is exercised i will not attempt any specification of either his belief or disbelief in various religious topics as derived from conversations with him at different times during a considerable period but as conveying a general view of his religious or theological opinions will state the following facts some eight or ten years prior to his death in conversing with him upon this subject the writer took occasion to refer in terms of approbation to the sermons and writings generally of dr w e channing and finding he was considerably interested in the statement i made of the opinions held by the author i proposed to present him lincoln a copy of channing's entire works which i soon after did subsequently the contents of these volumes together with the writings of theodore parker furnished him as he informed me by his friend and law partner william h herndon became naturally the topics of conversation with us 
and though far from believing there was an entire harmony of views on his part with either of these authors yet they were generally much admired and approved by him no religious views with him seemed to find any favor except of the practical and rationalistic order and if from my recollections on this subject i was called upon to designate an author whose views most nearly represented mr lincoln's on this subject i would say that author was theodore parker the last witness to testify before this case is submitted to the reader is no less a person than mrs lincoln herself in a statement made at a time and under conditions detailed in a subsequent chapter she said this quote, mr lincoln had no faith and no hope in the usual acceptation of these words he never joined a church but still as i believe he was a religious man by nature he first seemed to think about the subject when our boy willie died and then more than ever about the time he went to gettysburg but it was a kind of poetry in his nature and he was never a technical christian no man had a stronger or firmer faith in providence god than mr lincoln but the continued use by him late in his life of the word god must not be interpreted to mean that he believed in a personal god in eighteen fifty four he asked me to erase the word god from a speech which i had written and read it to him for criticism because my language indicated a personal god whereas he insisted no such personality ever existed my own testimony however in regard to mr lincoln's religious views may perhaps invite discussion the world has always insisted on making an orthodox christian of him and to analyze his sayings or sound his beliefs is but to break the idol it only remains to say that whether orthodox or not he believed in god and immortality and even if he questioned the existence of future eternal punishment he hoped to find a rest from trouble and a heaven beyond the grave if at any time in his life he was skeptical of the divine origin of the bible he ought not for that reason to be condemned for he accepted the practical precepts of that great book as binding alike upon his head and his conscience the benevolence of his impulses the seriousness of his convictions and the nobility of his character are evidences unimpeachable that his soul was ever filled with the exalted purity and sublime faith of natural religion end of section twenty five